Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Before we get started, and I kind of, I kind of stole some of my own thunder this morning with the, <laughs> not my own thunder, but I, I, I gave you a sneak peek into what it is we're going to be talking about today. So some of this might be, seem a little off, but, but I have a question. Have, have you ever been to an event where there is a big crowd of people that was excited and cheering about something? And, you know, I, I talked about the, the Giants game, that, that sporting event. If you've, you've ever, that was the first time, actually, the past a couple, few weeks ago, uh, my family and I went to a Giants game. It's the first time I've ever been to a professional sporting event. Um, lots and lots of people, uh, like super, super crowded. It was super fun. Um, you know, we got to sit in the seats, eat the peanuts, you know, cheer with the crowd, the, the whole nine yards. And it's probably safe to say that when you attend a pro sporting event, most people are going to be cheering, right? Whether for the home team or the away team, it's safe to say that most people are cheering or excited about something that's happening. If you've ever been to like a concert, like a big concert with somebody that you know, um, if you've been watching the news lately, Taylor Swift is doing a concert, if you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> and it is, it's a pretty big deal. So far, her tour has grossed for her $300 million. And according to the Federal Reserve, they are, they are actually paying attention to her concert because it is at the end projected to generate $5 billion in total revenue for the U.S. economy. One person's concert. And, I mean, these reactions aren't necessarily new, right? I mean, if we think back, we have Elvis, we have the Beatles, and, and the dollar amounts are new <laughs> because the economy is different, the, the level of, of show is different, but the, this isn't a new thing. There, there's excitement that generates and people come together, and so when, when we recognize that something momentous is taking place, People get excited, whether it's a sporting event, whether it's a concert or something else where a crowd of people is coming together. When that excitement, when that momentous occasion happens, people get excited, and it's hard for people to be quiet when they're excited. This morning, as we read through Nehemiah chapter 8, we need to pay special attention to the reaction of the people. So let's, let's get some context. Let's come back to what it was that we talked about, right? This is the, the tagline of our study is God's people in God's place experiencing God's presence. And as we look at the book of Nehemiah time after time after time, you're going to get tired of me saying it. It's just there. That's, that's the point. And so here we are in, in chapter 8. The wall is done. God's place has been established. Once again, God's people are now in God's place. After receiving the prompt from Nehemiah saying, hey, like the walls are finished. It's time to move in. People are inhabiting the city. And now it's time to move the focus. The, the, okay, spoiler 
It was never the focus of Nehemiah to build the walls. And that makes, well, of course it was the focus of Nehemiah to build the walls because that's why he went. He went and he built the walls. But that was never the point. The point was to make a place for God's people to come back and be God's people in God's presence. That was the focus. If the end result was a wall with no one living in it, it wouldn't have been a successful time. So Nehemiah says, okay, the wall is ready, the gates are ready, the city is ready, people are now living in the city, now it's time to experience God's presence. God's people are here, God's place is here, now it's time for God's presence. A recent survey of church attendees across the country found that 32% of attendees claim to read the Bible every day. And I totally get that we can't trust statistics. (laughs) I, I can make a statistic say anything that I want it to say. But what I can tell you is that that's probably high. Because if you're sitting in a church and you're receiving a survey about how often you read the Bible there's probably some temptation to inflate that number a little bit. So 32% claim to read the Bible every single day. And if that's the state of the church, then it's little wonder that biblical literacy outside of the church is pretty much non-existent, right? Within the church, 60% of those surveyed uh, can't name five out of the 10 commandments. 82% thought that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, was a passage in the Bible. It's not, just so anybody knows. Um, 12% believed that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 50% of the high school seniors within the church survey felt that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Now, in sharing these statistics, you know, maybe there's some of us that are here and they're like, wait, you mean they're not? And that's okay. That, that's okay if that's where you're starting today. The, the purpose of this conversation, the purpose of this time this morning is not to shame anyone in terms of where they are at in, in their exposure, their knowledge, their, their time commitment to reading the Word of God. That is not what we are here to do today. But what I do want us to look at, what I want us to focus on is no matter where you find yourself in relation to all of those statistics, is to take one step forward from that today. If you aren't one of those 32% that reads their Bible every day, my goal is that from here, that journey would start to take shape, that we would say, I'm not at that point today, but I want to be. And maybe you are one of those 32% that does. And if that's the case, that's awesome. And then my prayer would be that you also take a next step forward into a deeper relationship with, with Christ in what he has for you in his word. Discipleship is always about taking that next step forward. It has nothing to do with where you are starting. And so before we move forward, though, I have to ask this question, and it's going to seem so mean. Do you believe in the Bible? 
I mean, do you believe in the Bible? Do you, do you believe it is God's holy word? It is the infallible, true word of God that gives instruction for how we are supposed to live, that, that if we just have the Bible, if we just know the Bible as ultimate truth, then we will be able to be successful in life. Do you believe that? Then the last question is, have you read it? And have you read all of it? Have you read every single word of it? There's no shame here. But if, the, if all of those previous statements are true, and the, the answer to that last one is maybe not, then that is the challenge that I have for you this morning, is if all of those things are true, we, we can't say that all of those other things are true if we haven't read the whole thing. Matt, even, even the stuff about the geckos and like Leviticus, like we got to go there too. Yes, all of it. As we get into chapter 8, we're going to see that, that while the people were building the wall, there was this platform, maybe a stage that, that was being built in one part of the city. And remember, before the walls were built, there was a temple that was being built, that had been built. And although it doesn't say it in Scripture, I, I, I was kind of just considering this, that as, as they're building this temple in the ruins of Jerusalem, I, ha I was just kind of considering, like, what if, as they're building this temple, that there's some workers that come to the end, and they're like, you know, we've got some spare lumber. Let's, let's build a platform right here. In, in the heart of the city that says that someday God's people are going to come back to God's place and God's presence and are going to need to hear this. Like that, was just, like, that has to have been a thought. Maybe it wasn't when the temple was constructed. Maybe it was when the, the walls were being constructed. But at some point, there's this need for a way to address the people. This people that is hungering to take a step back into relationship with their creator God. And so we're back to the, the verses that we read this morning. We're going to do one through uh, um, eight, I think. Yeah, seven, excuse me. So all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and all others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maaseiah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, <laughs> Zechariah, and Meshulam. There we go. Ezra opened the book, and all of the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up 
And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord and their, with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbethai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So the people came to Ezra and said, it's time. The walls are done. The houses have been reconstructed. The people are back in the city. We have finally arrived at that moment we have been waiting for where you reveal God's word to the rest of the people. It is time. And Ezra goes out onto this podium that, that had to be pretty large, right? Because they had to be tall enough for, again, we, we know the count. It's not an accident that they tell us the chapter before that there's like 43,000 people total. That was the census that Nehemiah just took. So he goes out into this, onto this podium in the, the sight and the hearing of presumably thirty to 40,000 people and begins to read the book of the law to the people. The book of the law would have been some really, really big scrolls probably a few of them. And do you want to know what they were getting so excited about? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That, that was the thing, the, the, the book that has all of the stuff that we look at and say, oh, man, how does this fit? How does this apply? Those were the things that were, were bringing an entire nation to their faces before God. That, that book of the law contains all of the instruction that God had given his people about how to remain in his presence and how to remain in the place that he chose for them. And so now, here's where we need to think back to your experience, where you've been in that, that concert environment, where you've been in that professional sporting event, where you've been around that many people, and just think about what it feels like for that group of people to be completely silent. Silent because there's an expectance. Silence because there is an excitement of what is about to come. And again, remember, there's no PA system for Ezra, except the good acoustics. And so everyone had to be quiet. And we imagine that this silent crowd, probably again around that 40,000 mark, when the, the scripture is open, when the scroll is open, they all stand. And Ezra begins praising the Lord, and the people immediately follow his example, shouting, Amen, Amen, this is true, lifting their hands and bowing before God. And that's before he's even started reading. And Ezra then begins to read using the, these designated sub-teachers. And, and this part, we don't necessarily know a whole lot about how this happened, but I'm going to tell you what I think happened. If the number is in that thirty to 40,000 mark, that's a lot for one guy to be talking to. 
Just physically, that's a lot for one man's voice to travel all that way. And what I think probably was happening here, if we look at the, the people that were on his left and right, it doesn't necessarily mean they were in a line behind him or in front of him. What I'm wondering is if maybe on the left and the right, these people were dispersed throughout the crowd, relaying his message as he went. That's possible. And so we have this, this group of people that are, are relaying it so that everyone hears that there's not a single person that's left out. Notice how it says men, women, and all who were able to hear. So that all who were able to hear to me translates as kids because men and women are kind of their own thing. The only thing left are, are the children. And so anyone who is able to hear is present. The entire group is present. There is something different that happens when we come together with one another, when we join together in pursuit of God. That there's a scientific uh, term for that feeling. It's called collective effervescence. You say, well, that really takes the, the romance out of it. When a community comes together to simultaneously communicate the same thought and participate in the same action. And that's why when you get a group of people that are all there to see one person perform a musical act, everybody is excited. Yes, they're excited because what's happening up on stage, but they're excited because they're in a group with a whole bunch of other people who are excited too. There's a doctor of organizational psychology. He says... Collective effervescence is the synchrony you feel when you slide into rhythm with strangers on a dance floor, colleagues in a brainstorming session, cousins at a religious service, or teammates on a soccer field. Can I just say, this is what was missing during COVID. In every aspect of your life, that got removed. I'm not going to be political about this, but that is what got taken away, is our ability to come together and to be excited about something. And so everyone who thinks that Zoom is an appropriate replacement to church is missing out on what this is. Put that soapbox away. Um, worship was the people's response to hearing God's word. The people hear God's word, and, and they, before they, the words even get out, they are, are praising and worshiping God. Then again, leaders are positioned among the people so that there is no unclarity that exists. There can be unclarity even in the first few books of the Bible. And as these people are receiving this instruction, some of which have, this may be the first time that some of them have ever heard this. They're like, man, what does that mean? Geckos? Really? And so they're receiving this instruction, and then they're receiving clarity as there's these Levites who are moving amongst the people, answering questions, saying, hey, how can I help? The truth that God joyfully loves weak people like themselves 
provided strength to move forward. Because you want to know what happened when they started hearing the law? You want to know what happened when they started hearing the expectations that existed on them as being the people of God? They began to weep because they recognized how badly they had messed up. They recognized just how far they were from God's plan for them as a people. And yet, as we see in these coming chapters, chapters or excuse me, verses 9 through 10, there, there's hope. And so then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all of the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choose food, choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, the people were so focused on how far that they had come that they missed the underlying message that God had given them a way to come back. And if there is nothing else that you hear this morning is that God still gives away, regardless of how far away you have come, to come back. The people were weeping. <laughs> you can lower your mortgage rate. Uh, the people were weeping. Now, I know I just got done with this whole section on the road less traveled. And we, we, we talked about these different genealogies and all of these different things specifically in those books sometimes that we're like, man, those are absolutely important and those are relevant. But is that really the thing that's going to cause weeping and mourning for the people of Israel? But yeah. As Ezra is reading, I can imagine people starting to recognize specific areas in their life as they're reading, as they're having these people explain stuff to them. They're all of a sudden, there's this event that's clicking in their head saying, man, that, that interaction that I just had at, at home, that, that doesn't work with this. That relationship that I have with my coworker, that, that doesn't work with this. The way I've been treating my kids doesn't work with this. The, the thought processes that that I've been thinking that the, the words that I've been saying don't line up with the expectations that exist here. I am completely out of line with God's expectation for me as an individual and therefore my family and our entire nation is outside of that expectation. What are we supposed to do? Did you know that that reaction is what's supposed to happen when we read the Bible? A proper understanding of Scripture should bring about repentance, but it doesn't stop there. We're not supposed to just live in this, this state of mourning and desperation, thankfully. Repent and then rejoice because God has made a way. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a holy day, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Again, this, I have always approached this as some little handful of, of people that was receiving the word of God. But when you start thinking about this in the context of 30 to 40,000 people, it's just 
completely changes what is happening here. An entire people group recognizes that, hey, we don't have to worry about who we once were because God has a plan to shape our future and our direction. And then as we move forward to 13 and 15, we see that not, it didn't stop at just this one-time reading. And so in 13 and 15, through 15, it says, On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. Okay, they already read the words of the law, but now they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> if we're supposed to do this stuff, we probably need to know. I need to understand. This can't just be a one-time thing. As a, a leader in my house, as someone who's responsible for my family, I need to make sure that I'm doing whatever it takes to make this work. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out onto the hill, into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtle and palm and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. These people are reading the, the book of the law for the first time. They're like, wait a minute, we're supposed to have a camp out. <laughs> And we, we, haven't been, we haven't done camping. I'm joking, obviously. So the heads of the families recognize that there's need for, for more teaching, and so they're the ones to bring it back home. And so they recognize that there is this, this event that needs to take place, this celebration of remembrance. So for those of you that don't know, you've probably heard of this celebration before. It's called Rosh Hashanah. It's a, a memorial of something. It's, but what is it a memorial of, right? It, it is the, the new year. The agricultural cycle was the basis of the ancient economy. I mean, if you think about it, the beginning of the planting, see, that, that represents the new fiscal year. <laughs> we have gathered in all of our harvest. We've counted and totaled it. We've divided it into its proper categories and uses. And in the process, we remember the course of events throughout the year and how our plans, skills, efforts, and natural forces contributed to the end result all under the hand of God. And as, you, as they are going through this process of looking back, of taking account There's this realization, this recognition that God is also taking account. One specific author says, he gathers in all of his people, assessing and evaluating their spiritual growth and fruitfulness over the course of the year. He separates us all into categories, determining how he will use us and what he will entrust to us in the coming year. Another author says, in a sense, it's as though our every deed throughout the year is recorded in a book. On Rosh Hashanah, this book is reviewed and the events are remembered. And all of us say, well, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> that, that sounds a, a little problematic. Sure, maybe we can just use some whiteout on a few of those things. 
But that was the point. That, that was where these people were, is they were at the point of saying, okay, I am taking stock of everything that has transpired. And for them, it was probably much more than a year. I mean, we, there is no hope. We are so far outside of this expectation. And yet, this celebration, there's a reason they're going out and collecting new branches. There's a reason they're not just pitching a tent made out of fabric. They're, they're collecting these new branches because they're, they're going back and remembering not just the, the new agricultural year, they're going back and remembering that this earth was created. And they're living in that creation. They're living in remembrance that, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that creation was for us. And that this assessment of, of who we are, this, this remembering back of who we are and our, our deeds and our actions isn't isn't about determining whether or not we make the grade to make it to heaven or not. It's about, this is where I am today, and this is how I take the next step forward. Just like we talked about this morning when it comes to reading your Bible. Matt, I, I don't read my Bible every day. That's okay. What's the next step forward? Ultimately, if we, we think about this time of remembrance, it's not about, oh my goodness, I'm so terrible, I shouldn't even try. This is where you are today. What is your next step forward? And so the people remembered how far they'd come, how good they had it, and then how quickly they could lose it. 16 through 18 says, So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Okay, so what does this mean? Do we like need to all go make tents now? No, <laughs> that, that's not what we need to worry about. But what we need to look at is personal habits. As we prepare to, to leave this place, personal habits, we need to commit to a reasonable plan to increase your knowledge in the Word of God. That, that's a, a concrete step that needs to be taken for every single one of us, regardless of whether you are a, a three-time-a-day Bible reader or if you are a, yeah, I've looked at it like twice. Um, regardless of where you fall in that category, we need to take steps to improve. What else do we get from this? We see that, that family responsibility exists. There need to be opportunities that are created by the, the people leading households 
so that families can seek the Lord together. And so we've, we have the personal habit, we have the family habit, then there needs to be the church commitment. There has to be a resolution that says, we as a people of God will come together and we will regularly experience the rhythm of worshiping God together as one. And there's value to that. So we have a personal habit a family habit, and a corporate habit. That's the the takeaways for us to to look at this morning. And again, the result of those things comes to God's people being in God's place, experiencing God's presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And God, I, I personally come and, Lord, I ask your forgiveness for, for not taking your word as seriously and at the, the level of importance at which it should be treated. Lord, there, there are areas in my life that, that need to be changed, that need to be adjusted to reflect the importance and the, the criticality of your word. God, we want to know you. We want to know who you are. We want to know what you have for us. And God, you share that in your word. Lord, we thank you that regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, we are not in a place of shame. God, we are in a place of opportunity, a place of opportunity to take a step forward into what you have called us to do. Lord, for those of us who, who have experience in your word, that have, have read your word, that, that know what it says, Lord, help us to be those people that, that bring others along, that disciple those that, that are hungry to know. And Lord, for those of us that, that are, are still learning, Lord, help us to seek out those answers. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word is relevant And that I don't have to try and find relevance to my life because it's relevant to you. And if your word is relevant to you, then I need to find how I fit within that. But I thank you that we have this opportunity to hear from you on a daily recurring basis. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 